This podcast is made possible by Workday and U.S. Bank. Hello, this is Vic Chenoweth, CFO of PlanView, and you are listening to the CFO Thought Leader Podcast. This is episode 359. From a cultural standpoint, I needed a vision for what I wanted the culture to look like and how is that going to fit into the dress barn culture. So when I say culture, it, it, what I mean by that is creating common values, um, and we do that as, as a finance leadership team. Um, so we know what to hire. We know we know the values that we want in people, um, as well as just people who want to bring themselves to work every day, who love what they do, who have other things about their lives that they want to contribute um, contribute to the team. We just wanted to make a, make it a place where people just loved coming to work every day. From Middle Market Media, this is CFO Thought Leader, where we speak to finance leaders about driving change within their organizations. I'm Jack Sweeney. On today's show, we speak to Rana Zia, a seasoned finance leader inside the retail apparel industry. Most recently, Rana served as CFO of Dress Barn before authoring a book titled Your Hidden Light, a personal guide to creating your desired life. We asked Rana about those experiences which led her to the CFO office as well as her latest realm of authorship and personal discovery after these words from our sponsor. Just as a house needs a good foundation, your business needs a solid technology foundation. At Workday, a different approach to finance technology is giving growing mid-size organizations a distinct advantage. Workday's flexible architecture means that when business conditions change, finance can easily make changes to business processes. To learn more about how a finance system from Workday supports mid-size organizations from the ground up, visit us at Workday.com. Workday, built for the future. Speaking with Rana Zia, a finance leader whose career has been dotted with many of uh, the clothing world's best-known retailers, including Dress Barn, where she served as CFO for a number of years. Prior to entering uh, the CFO office, her career intersected with such esteemed brands as Sears, Banana Republic, and Gap. Rana, welcome. Hi, Jack. Thank you for having me on today. I'm very excited to, to talk to you. Likewise. By the way, I neglected to mention one milestone, actually, which I think clearly uh, sets you apart from most of our CFO guests, and that is you've authored a book published just last year titled Your Hidden Light, A Personal Guide to Creating Your Desired Life. And while, uh, Rana, I think your CFO tenure is unquestionably of interest uh, to our audience, your book and what led you to write it 
I think would also be most intriguing uh, to a finance audience. And so we look forward to hearing uh, your story in relation to the book. But um, as always, I, I want you to take us back, if you would, and uh, tell us a little bit about your career development and, and what led, you know, what were those experiences that helped prepare you for a CFO role? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, to be honest with you, when I started my career, um, I never intended to stay in finance or be a CFO. Uh, when I joined my, uh, when I joined the Gap early in my career, I thought it would be easier to join the company as a finance analyst, given my background and my college experience, and then I would figure out what I really wanted to do. But within a short period of time, um, I realized two very important things working in finance at Gap that influenced my career greatly. Um, and the first was that in the finance role, I had permission to influence all aspects of the business given the fact that I managed the P&L. And in fact, I was always encouraged to build relationships across the company and influence people. Um, and so that, to me, was really exciting. And I eventually took a role as head of company planning at The Gap, which was essentially a finance role um, that, that created sales plans, um, influenced how much inventory we bought, established markdown strategy, influenced markdown promotions, and it was such an operational finance role that I was hooked. And in that moment, I really realized the value of finance as a function that could bring to the business, you know, from strategy, planning, operations, and I no longer had a desire to leave the finance role. So that, that was one of my first milestones was that realization. Um, and secondly, also at the Gap, uh, what was really, um, really important to me was that people were actually very interested in my career there. I had incredible bosses, um, and the company invested in developing their people. So at one point in my career, I had an opportunity for a personal leadership coach. Um, I was given the opportunity for leadership training. Um, and at that moment, I really realized when I went through these trainings how important uh, the value of investing in myself and in my team and how important that was for my growth as well as the team the team's growth. So that, that was really eye-opening, and I really took that into my future roles. And then finally, I would say um, the other milestone when, was when I actually left the Gap. I had been there for 10 years, um, and I went and took a divisional CFO, CFO role at Sears. Um, while I was only there for a year, you know, for me, it was really important to get out of my comfort zone, which was 10 years with one company. Um, and take a risk and learn new experiences. And while I would say that I had my ups and downs in that first year or in that only year at Sears, um, it was really, really important, and it helped me hit the ground running when I was offered the CFO role at Dress Farm. So I would just say for me, just pushing myself out of my comfort zone um, was really key to help me continue to pro progress in my career. You emphasized very nicely uh, some of the career development that you enjoyed at the uh, early part of your career, uh, but there's always second guessing, and I'm curious, again, 10 years at the gap, was there any uh, looking back or second guessing as to whether you should have jumped at that point in time? I, I would absolutely take that leap again today. You know, I, at one point, I felt like I could, I could have stayed at gap for my entire career. Um, but when, you know, I went into my heart to say, what is it that I eventually, where did I really want to be? 
right? I had family on the East Coast. I was working in San Francisco. There was no real reason to leave. Um, but I, when I thought about what was really important to me, it was I had children who wanted to be close to their grandparents. Um, I wanted to be closer to, to my parents. Um, and I had to prioritize. And in that moment, I said, okay, you know, I got to eventually figure out how to get to the East Coast. And while, you know, this interim step, sometimes people look at my resume and say, huh, that's a very strange step. Sometimes the, the strangest things are the right things to do, and, and you just have to take that leap and risk if your inner gut is telling you it's the right thing to do. And for me, it actually was, because not only um, did it prepare me for my next role, in many ways, in terms of just getting out of my comfort zone, and two, just, just the skills, right? The actual skills I needed to know from an, a retail accounting standpoint that was different, um, as well as from a business model standpoint, I went, you know, from specialty retail to department store, and then my dress barn experience had to combine both of that. Um, so I would say that you should always take that risk if there's something inside of you that's pushing you to do so. I'm curious, when you first arrive at Dress Barn, did you begin moving the culture or your team in, in a direction you wanted? Yeah, no, absolutely. What was exciting for me when I joined Dress Barn, I was asked to actually build the team. So the team um, was only comprised of an accounting team, and they wanted to build an FP&A, strategic finance arm, that would be fully integrated into the business and help drive business decisions and business growth. So that was very exciting, exciting for me. So I felt like I was almost starting from scratch, right? So as far as, you know, building a culture, you know, first of all, I had to establish a vision, right? What did it look like to have a high-performance team, right? And what did we want the team to do? Then we had to hire people, et cetera, build up the team from a functional standpoint. But from a cultural standpoint, I needed a vision for what I wanted the culture to look like and how is that going to fit into the dress barn culture. And one of the things that I did um, when I had to bring on a new personal assistant, um, I was actually looking for – a chief engagement officer uh, because I knew my skill, my strengths were not like the rah, 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 let me think about things to get the team engaged, um, but I needed someone who had those strengths, could bridge company culture, department culture, could help um, bring together a fully engaged, cohesive team. So I hired a woman who took my vision of what I wanted to do and, and executed that beautifully. So when I say culture, it, it, what I mean by that is creating common values, um, and we did that as, as a finance leadership team. Um, so we know what to hire. We know, we know the values that we want in people, um, as well as just people who want to bring themselves to work every day, who love what they do, who have other things about their lives that they want to contribute, um, contribute to the team. So we just wanted to make, a, make it a place where people just loved coming to work every day. Um, so culture was very important to me. So give us a sense of the day-to-day -day at Dress Barn. What were the uh, metrics that were always top of mind for you? Yeah, I mean, in apparel retail, it's sales. It's sales, absolutely. <laughs> you know, because every day you're forecasting sales. You have a sales forecast, for and every day you want to, did I hit my forecast, did I not hit my forecast? So that was the key metric. And then beyond that, um, in apparel, like many other companies, you know, you're looking at, um, not only sales, but your margins, 
um, as well as the traffic coming in through your doors. Um, in retail, you're looking at you know your your average transaction, um, your average sale. But you know it's all about driving top line. So was it that you would get a report daily of the sales per store, or how would it work? Yeah, I mean, I, we first of all we prioritize just total sales, and then we do look at it. We look at everything on a buy store basis to really understand productivity. Um, which you know, which stores are are m- more profitable than other stores, um, but overall we're looking at um, you know total total sales as well as sales by um, product type. And what I think is really really in- influential and very powerful is is the customer data. And now having data on your customer, really understanding who she is, and I think the biggest challenge is for everybody right now is saying, what do I do with that? How do I use it? And that's sort of the big unlock that everybody's trying to figure out is I have all this customer data. How do I make it really actionable? How do I use it? Is anything come to mind when I ask for an aha moment, a finance aha moment, where you as a finance leader, given your unique lines of sight, were able to identify an opportunity or a risk, whatever it might have been? You know, I'm going to answer this question in a little bit of a different way. Um, because I would say my insight as sort of is I observe other people and I've been pretty aware of myself. It, my insight is more of a is more of a leadership insight in terms of how how a finance professional um, can be more effective in the organization. And my aha moment was when I learned how to meditate. To be honest. <laughs> And how to quiet the mind, how to control my emotions, because then you can see things a lot more clearly, and you can you're able to influence much more effectively. And I think it's also very important in the industry where I was in, where there was a lot of passion, a lot of emotion, and it's great because it's really creative, it's really passionate. Um, but being being able to influence in the finance role is really important, and because. You know, we control the numbers. We have the data. We can be that neutral place, and and to be able to not get caught up in all of the emotion, stay centered and grounded, was my aha moment that I was much more effective when I could do that. Now, can you tell us something about adopting sort of a, a meditation in into your routine? Did that happen quickly? Was it something you experimented with, or are you? sort of a person who says, okay, I'm going to fit this into my routine and uh, and, and look at the results. Uh, <laughs> tell us a little uh, bit yeah. about that. Yeah, yeah. Now, I started meditating in 2014, so it's uh, been almost four, four years that I've been doing it. And honestly, it was um, something that I just tried. I mean, people talk about it. I've been in corporate retreats where – We've had to meditate. You know, it was called a sitting practice. Um, and when I started to experiment with different kinds of meditations, I, I quickly saw the benefit. I saw the benefit of quieting my mind, waking up every morning, not checking email, not waking up in a frenzy, right, just getting still, quieting my mind, setting an, an intention for what I wanted to accomplish that day. And after doing that, I was much more effective. I felt like I could create my day as opposed to going into work and reacting to everything that came at me. 
And when I saw how effective I became and I felt from meditating every single morning, I, re- I, I just couldn't start my day without it because there was no point. <laughs> I think it's interesting. I think one of the <clears throat> maybe the untold stories in business is their uh, meditation has been adopted more broadly than many people are aware. Were there any mentors or business leaders who influenced your decision to uh, try it? You know, that's a good question. I- I'm thinking about it, and I, I, I have to say that there isn't one person that I could point to to say I, you know, that person was a mentor or I looked at that person. It was something literally that I was just drawn, drawn to personally as I was looking for ways to develop myself. But now that I'm much more aware of um, the powers of meditation, I am seeing that there are a lot more executives, um, you know, in the in the corporate world who are who have it as a practice. Now, I, I mean, I think in some ways too, it underscores that you're somewhat independent in, in certain ways. I want to I want to get to our discussion around what led you to write the book, and I think in some ways that reveals something of an independence as well. But you you can correct me if you'd like. Well, yes, you're right. It's not your typical typical path. Um, but as a CFO or my CFO head, right in our in our job. We're always looking for the most efficient and effective way to get something done. And for me, as I thought about what is the next thing that I want to do, right, we're always thinking about, you know, what do we want to accomplish? What are our goals? What is the next thing? Everybody, every professional is thinking about that. And so for myself, I was looking for the most efficient and effective way to achieve what I want to achieve in my life. And I started with really focusing on my career, right? So it's like, how do I achieve what I want to achieve in my career? What is the most efficient way I can get there? And so, you know, I, given, like, I felt like I was so lucky to have all this corporate support in terms of getting a personal coach and having leadership training, I saw the value in just learning in personal development. So I started to read a lot of self-help books, and I started to go on retreats. Um, go to conferences to get inspired, and I was really looking for inspiration and and a way to you know get from here to there. And in my expor- in my exploration, I was finding a lot of amazing pieces of wisdom um, of how to achieve my goals in my life. And a lot of this wisdom was ancient spiritual wisdom about going within, about the power of your thoughts, and all of that really connected with me. Um, because I felt like, yeah, that makes sense. Like, to create anything in your external world, you need to go inside, right? You need to believe in yourself. You need to think the thoughts. You need to take the actions that are completely aligned with your thoughts. So the more I learned from different, you know, books and, and things, the more curious I became as to how everything worked um, and why was I able to achieve such great things in my life. Now, I also realized, like, everything I was learning was in all, all different places. And as, again, a finance professional where we're trying to synthesize the business and bring all the dots together to really tell the story, I was feeling that need to do the same thing with this information. I was like, it's all out there. Let me all put it together in one spot. So I have it as a reference, you know, as a reference book. 
Now, the weird thing about it was that I never wanted to write a book. You know, I spent my life in analytics and in finance. I was not a writer. I was never great at English in school. So that thought of writing a book never, ever occurred to me. But I'll be honest, I think what makes this a little different is that sometimes you have a calling in your heart that is telling you to do something that you can't explain. And so it took some time for me to build up the courage, um, and the courage within myself and the belief in myself that I can actually write a book. Because it was so far off from what everybody knew me as. Um, but when I did finally build the belief in myself and have the courage, that instant, the words came out, right, like magic, right? <laughs> and I started writing for two months, and within two months, the book was done. So it was done pretty quickly. Um, so similar to a lot of the stuff I write about in the book, you know, it all starts with a core belief that you can do something, and when you believe you can do it, you can do it. And I realized that's how, you know, I progressed in my career, right? Like you don't get a promotion until you you're ready for that promotion because you already know you can do the job. So it's similar. And even if you want to do something completely different, you're only able to do that once you feel like you're ready and you believe that you can. So that was my journey to writing the book. I, I think of finance executives and so many of the leaders that we have uh, spoken with, uh, they very often uh, have in common um, uh, discipline and maybe a regiment that they stick to in a routine. However, I'm not certain introspection is something that they necessarily share widely. What would your, uh, uh, can you challenge me here, or what would you tell me uh, about your peers? I, you know, I don't know if finance leaders are not always introspective. I would say that you know, we all have two minds. We have the analytical mind, the planful mind, and we have a creative mind, right? Um, and typically you're going to see the CEO has the creative mind, right, as well as the analytical mind, but is using both. And I think as the finance function continues to progress, you see that, you know, the finance professionals are not just purely shouldn't just be purely analytical, right? You're forced to have that business mind. You're forced to really understand the nuances of the business so you can be a better prob problem solver. And so there's that creative mind that that is coming out. I see that it's coming out. Um, you know, and I think, you know, the best business people are going to be able to use both. And so I would say in this book, and I, and I do understand, right, because a lot of people I know are very an analytical and they follow a plan. But at the same time, they also have a creative, creative side to them, and I've seen that. And a lot of times they don't feel like they can bring it to work. Um, it's a hobby. It's something that they're doing at home. They're, they're, some, they're, they're, you know, they're, they're using that in a different place. And so I believe that, um, you know, I, 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 think I think everybody follows, you know, feels their heart, can follow their heart, has a creative side to themselves. And this book actually challenges you to, to just take that analytical mind, put it aside, open your creative mind, and, and, and see what's out there and see what you can create if you open your mind to something different. You also related to us that uh, along the way uh, in your career, you made some uh, perhaps work-life uh, balance uh, decisions 
Is this about that as well, or is this different? Yeah, this this is about everything. And what I mean by that is that this book talks about the four-step process to creating anything you desire, right? So whether it is a goal, an intention, anything in your life, in your job. Because what I realized is this four-step process applies to everything, right? From what you want to do tomorrow to what you want to do in your career to what you want at home, it applies to everything. So for me, you say work-life balance. That was, that's an interesting one because I talk briefly about that in my book. As um, When I became a mother for the first time, I, 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 that actually forced me to have work-life balance, right? Because I was saying, thinking to myself, I don't want work to be all stressful and, and I'm always stressed out and I'm straining and I have to come home, take care of my child. And then like many parents, you know, they put their kids to bed and then they're going, they're back on their computers and they're working late into the night. And I said, I wanted to create something different for myself. I still wanted to be, you know, a finance professional. I still had career goals, but I wanted to feel like it, it was manageable. I wasn't stressed out all the time. I wanted to have time with my family and not then go back onto the computer, right? So how do I create something different for myself, right? And then I follow this four-step process, which can be, which once you learn how to do it, it becomes really innate. And what I created for myself was exactly what I wanted, a, a, the balance that worked for me. So it can be about work-life balance. It could be about career aspiration. It could be about anything. It literally is a, a book that teaches you how to most efficiently and effectively create what, whatever you want in your life. I, I'm wondering if you view this book as maybe a, a fork in the road. And what I mean by that is that, in four years' time, uh, you can answer this question. In four years' time, will we see you as a, a finance leader inside another uh, retail clothing uh, organization? Or are we going to see you uh, with a second book and someone who has organized seminars <laughs> around, uh, you know, living life better? So, again, does the book serve as a fork in the road? I believe it does. You know, when I thought about what I enjoyed the most, what I loved the most, uh, you know, being a CFO was, I mean, actually, it's two things, right? I loved, I loved influencing and it helped grow and drive a business for it. I did. I loved that influencing aspect um, of the job, and I also loved um, – Developing leaders, developing leaders, developing teams, helping people um, bring their best to work every day. And so when I think about that part of it, I love, you know, I did my own training um, in my department in terms of both manager training, leadership training, and I loved it. And so this is an opportunity for me to take it even um, broader. You know, because when I really did look into leadership development, at the end, at the end of the day, it all starts from within. It starts from um, really getting in tune with what you want, who you are, how to manage your thoughts, your feelings, your beliefs. And once you do that, you can, you can create anything you want in your life. So if I think about like what I've gained from my finance career, I'm just taking an aspect of that 
except for the finance part. <laughs> and, and, and I see myself moving in that direction. You mentioned how a CEO's leadership is often uh, expressive and, and maybe uh, more creative, perhaps, than CFO's uh, leadership is known for. And I'm wondering if uh, it's more stressful because it's not as creative or expressive and uh, it's perhaps more risk adverse. How would you characterize that leadership? That's interesting. I think I, you know, I look at it a bit differently now because I, I was probably a very expressive CFO. And it could be because I was in an industry that there were a lot of creatives and everybody was passionate. passionate. And I still see today in our industry, there's a lot of very passionate CFOs. Um, and I thought that was to my benefit, right? But what I realized that the role in particular is much more powerful when you are in a more centered place. Now, that doesn't mean that you're holding back. That's the thing. You're not holding back like you want to explode, but you can't. It really means that you take the time when you feel like you want to explode, right, and you, you find a way to just let it go, to release it, to get centered, to get, get clear-minded, because you are much more valued um, and listened to when you come from a much more centered place. And from that centered place, you can take responsible risks, right? You can make that recommendation to your CEO that I know what you want to achieve, and this is the best way to go about doing it, or this is why don't we test it first before we roll it out. So I don't see that the CFO, CFO role is not taking risks. I think their job is to figure out how to get it done, know the risks, articulate the risks, um, or even, you know, figure out, a, you know, a, a, a um, less risky way to get it done, right? So I see it just a, a little bit different. I think it is about, you know, knowing when you're feeling like you want to explode, but also knowing the power of letting it go and then being that even-keeled um, influencer. Thought Leader listeners, don't go anywhere. Rana Zia enters the mentoring round with us right after these words from our sponsor. You want smart, clear, and honest guidance to help you meet the financial goals of your middle market business. With U.S. Bank, you have a partner who will help you find the right solutions to help your organization reduce payment costs, enhance control, improve cash flow, and expand your spend visibility. U.S. Bank's dedication to making ethical decisions and doing the right thing is at the heart of what they do, and their efforts haven't gone unnoticed. They've been named a 2017 World's Most Ethical Company for the third consecutive year by the Ethisphere Institute. To learn more, visit uspayment.com slash middle market. I feel like we've been in our, our mentoring round all along, but let's let's officially move into what we like to call our mentoring round. And uh, beginning with our question, what's exciting you about finance and business today? 
Well, I think that the thing that's the most exciting is, you know, we talked a little bit about it earlier, is the amount of data available within finance. So I would say, well, let me take a step back. First of all, I would say what's really exciting about being in finance today is the amount of influence they have on the business. Um, you know, the, the function has evolved a lot over time, and now they have a real, finance has a real voice at the table um, to influence the direction of the business. So I think that's really exciting. Um, because if you love business, I think the CFO role is an exciting place to be because you, you see everything and you have the ability to influence all aspects of the business. I think that's number one, um, is the voice at the table the role now has. And number two is the amount of data. You know, the amount of the data that we have access to, um, the ability to really analyze that data and come to the table with a point of view, um, that's what people want. That's the, what companies want. And, and a lot of that fits within the finance function. As someone who, uh, who knows what it takes to write a book, uh, we're wondering if you have other uh, books you'd like to recommend uh, to finance leaders as well. Um, well, there's a couple of books I would recommend. I mean, first, from a leadership standpoint, a book that really shaped who I became as a leader is Multipliers um, by Liz Wiseman. And it, that's really about how um, great leaders help other people become great leaders. Um, so that, I would highly recommend that book. As well as from a life perspective, I would recommend The Seven Spiritual Laws of, of Success by Deepak Chopra. Um, I love this book because it teaches you the ability to fulfill your desires with effortless ease. So again, like I, I mentioned before, I was looking for the most efficient way, right, to, to achieve what I wanted, and, and a lot of the concepts are brought up in that book. Finally, let's ask if you wouldn't mind offering some personal advice uh, to finance executives who are uh, looking uh, to become future CFOs. What advice would you have for them today? Yeah, absolutely. I would say my biggest piece of advice is to invest time in yourself um, to grow as a leader and a person. So invest in your people as well. And it doesn't have to cost a lot to do that um, because books are a great place to start. We've been speaking with Rana Zia, author of Your Hidden Life, a personal guide to creating your desired life. Rana, where can our uh, listeners find your book? You can find it on Amazon, the paperback copy, as well as downloading it for Kindle, as well as iBooks and BarnesandNoble.com. Excellent. Rana Zia, thank you for joining us on CFO Talk. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening, and don't forget, Thought Leader listeners, you can now go premium at cfothoughtleader.com.